0: We are continuing our It's Not About Me series. Last week, we began a four-week study of Joseph. And we're looking at how Joseph gave up a lot in his life, how he went through a lot of hardships, how he went through a lot of trials, And every time, he continued to choose to be faithful to God. Now, Joseph is very relevant, even though it was well over 3,000 years ago. Joseph is very relevant to the life of a college student because many of us go through trials as well. Some of us are currently in the trial of trying to decide whether or not we are going to celebrate Christmas or not. There's a lot of us in the room who believe Christmas should be after Thanksgiving. And we have friends who believe it starts November 1st. And we battle it out with our friends. I've never seen college students get so hyped about that. They'll go to war over that. We have college students in the room who have trials with their family uh, that are going on. Uh, Goodness gracious, this is finals week. How many of you have a final this week? Raise your hand. Or over the next week, look at the ends up. Finals stress me out. (laughs) I do not like being evaluated. (laughs) I do not like having my abilities tested at the very end of a semester and then having to answer questions or, or write papers. It's stressful. It's hard. And you know what? Many of you are working Many of you have jobs, many of you have friends that want to hang out with you, with, with you and they want to spend time with you and you're, you're juggling all these things. You got school, you have work, you have family, you have friends and, and sometimes something slips through the cracks. And sometimes you find yourself in a trial. Sometimes you find yourself in a battle. Well, Joseph found himself in trials and battles. He faced giants. His life was not easy. Last week, you'll be very familiar, we talked about Joseph's brothers. And we talked about the four pits they fell into that led them to throwing Joseph into a pit. And I'm not gonna go over those four. I hope you were here last week. If not, the podcast is available. But tonight, we're gonna hone in on Joseph. And I wanna ask you a question at the very beginning. And I'm looking for a response here. How many of you, would love it if God just laid out his plan for your life right now. <laughs> Anybody in the room? Yeah, somebody's like, amen. It's the first one of the nights. like, put it on a whiteboard for me. Lord, I would love to see the timeline. There's... There's a lot of us in the room who would love to know why we're going to go through the certain things we're going to go through. I was talking to one of my good friends last week, and we were working through uh, his call and what he's supposed to do with his life. And he looked at me as real as he could. He won't mind me saying this, as real as he could. He said, I just wish God would open up the heavens and speak audibly to me right now and tell me what I should do with my life. You ever been there before? Listen, there's many times in my life that I've been to a point where I'm like, God, I wish you would just speak to me. Like, out loud, tell me right now, should I go right, should I go left, should I take this job, should I take that job? What am I supposed to do? And, and we get into these moments in our life where if we're not careful, prayer turns God into just wanting answers and not really actually wanting to be in the presence and begin to look more like God. I'll give you an example. When I first got saved, I believed God was like an eight ball, <laughs> You ever seen an eight ball before? I think we got a picture that'll come up on the screen. An eight ball, yes, there it is right here. You're very well familiar with this. Anybody seen this before? Let me see your hands. All right, this generation surely has seen it. What you do is it's very simple. You shake it, you make contact with it, and as soon as you make contact with it, it gives you an answer on the spot. And when I got saved, that's how I wanted God to be. I thought prayer meant if I just go to God and I make contact and I shake a little bit and I encounter him, then I get the answer I'm looking for immediately. And I realize God don't work that way. God is not going to lay out his life plan for you. He's not going to give you all the answers. You don't just get to shake God and demand an answer out of him. Sometimes God puts us through trials, He puts us through pits, sometimes we go through battles and we don't always understand the why. I love this quote from A.W. Tozier. This is really good. It starts by saying, Are you ready for this? God never hurries. (laughs) You ever thought about that before? God's not in a rush. See how you and me get in a rush with our life? We want all the answers. Tozer says, God never hurries. Why? Look at this. There are no deadlines against which he must work. Only to know this is to quiet our spirits and relax our nerves. God is not bound by your deadline or anybody's deadline. God is the ruler of all deadlines. God's not in a rush. God knows how to operate time. You know why? Because he created it. You and I did not create time, so we cannot be too naive to believe that we know how to operate time. God's in control. I wrote this down. God allows us to go through trials that are hard, that push us to our limit, and sometimes we don't find out the why until years after that trial, and that's exactly what happened to Joseph tonight. Joseph goes through trials. We're going to see the trials that he goes through tonight, and he does not get all the immediate answers from God. But I want to tell you something. Joseph trusted God whether he had all the answers he wanted or not. Can I ask you a question? Are you willing to trust God whether he gives you the answers you want or not? Because I got news for you. If you and I are only willing to trust God when he gives us the answers we want, we aren't really worshiping God. We're worshiping our own knowledge. We're worshiping our own awareness. We're worshiping our own plan. If God's only good when he gives us the answers, uh, then to us, God's not going to be very good. God is good whether he reveals everything to you or whether he reveals nothing to you. About your trial, about what you're walking through, about what you're going through. So let's look at the life of Joseph and let's see tonight. Where is he placed in his faith and what does this practically look like for him? Look with me at Genesis chapter 39, verses, starting in verses 1 to 6. Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 to 6. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and the captain of the guards. Now, captain of the guards right here in this text means similar to the chief of police. Potiphar would have been someone that was the head of Pharaoh's personal security force. Pharaoh was a trusted official in the government of Egypt. He is in a place here of authority. He is in a place here of leadership. He is the captain of the guards. He bought Joseph from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. Now look at verse 2. Underline this in your Bible if you're taking notes. Notes, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man serving in the household of his Egyptian master. Verse 3, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he had been put in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord, look at this, blessed the Egyptians' house because of Joseph. Potiphar is getting to experience the blessings of Joseph because Joseph has been with God. Listen, the best thing you can do for the people in your life is to be with God. (laughs) The absolute best thing that you can do for the people in your life is to make sure that your walk with God is connected and in line. (laughs) The worst thing you can do for the people in your life is to not maintain your relationship with Christ. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, if you and I are just trying to minister and love people from our own strength and not the strength and the favor of God, we will fail those people. The absolute best thing that you can do is to maintain your own personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That blessing will pour over into others. It doesn't mean money and prosperity, But that blessing will pour over into others. It says then that the Lord's, excuse me, blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I know with finals, you probably came in tired tonight. I know you're probably a little weary. I know that you're a little beaten up and a little worn down. I want to tell you something. God has something tonight that will restore you. There, if there is anything in this world that can restore you as you are doing finals, it's God's word. Amen? This will restore you. Heavenly Father, right now, I thank you for these hundreds of college students who have decided during finals to come out and worship your name. <laughs> Father, you are a good God, and you are good, and you have done far too much for us. If you don't do anything else for us after tonight, you've already done too much for us. So, Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for him dying on the cross and paying our penalty, covering our sins with his blood. Father, we thank you that the devil is a loser and he is binded from this room in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray for these students that as they're tired, as they're carrying many burdens tonight, that they would catch the word you have for them. Father, we pray you would speak every word tonight, God. Who cares what I have to say? We want to hear from you, God. Would you speak to us about your word? Father, save people tonight. Save people tonight. And if that's your prayer tonight, would you say amen? Amen. If you're taking notes, I hope you are, because I certainly have notes for you to write down tonight. Let's get that hand a little tired. Number one, will you trust God's timing? I have three questions for you tonight. Very simple. We're going to walk through these three questions in really good time. And the first one is, will you trust God's timing? Verses one to six. Now, do you think that Joseph, and I just want to talk about Joseph here for a moment. Let's put ourselves in his shoes. Do you think Joseph got a little frustrated? One person shook their head in the room. Boy, these finals have been beating us up. Do y'all think Joseph got a little frustrated? All right, think about it for a moment. I believe Joseph, at least he was tempted, Cole with discouragement and doubt at least he was tempted with it but I think he probably in his heart to heart struggled a little bit because of what has happened to him venture with me if you will he's got to be between the age of 17 and 23 we know that he was sold into slavery at 17 so he's got to be between the age of 17 to 23 which means he would be a part of our ministry (laughs) isn't that funny If the view existed back then, he probably would have been hooping and hollering for the Lord. He would have had those hands up. He would have been saying, amen, pastor, amen. He would have loved the Lord. He would have been involved in this ministry. He might have gone to U of M until he got sold into slavery. He is your age. He is around our age. And think about what happens. This is so good. God gives him these dreams in chapter 37. God gives him these dreams. He gives him this vision. He gives him a vision that Joseph is going to rise up to authority. Okay, you remember that? That Joseph's going to have authority over his brothers and authority over much more than that. And think about the very next thing that happened. After those dreams, God allows Joseph. He didn't cause it, but he allowed it. Listen, everything that happens, God either causes it or allows it to happen for his will. He allows Joseph to be sold into slavery. Did you catch that? He gives Joseph visions of having authority and then he sold into slavery, which is literally the opposite of having authority. <laughs> he gives Joseph dreams and a vision, Elijah, of being on the rise up. And then what happens to Joseph? He does not experience a rise up, he literally experiences a fall. <laughs> Do you realize that the minute God began to give Joseph his calling, his purpose, his mission, his vision, his dream, when God began to give Joseph that, he immediately allowed Joseph to experience the very opposite. Is it possible that when God puts a calling on your life, when he gives you a burden, when he pushes or commands you to do something, that he might follow it up immediately with a trial? Is it possible that God... Giving you a call and then allowing you to go through a trial is not contradicting God's call, but it's actually complementing God's call. That's not in my notes. Is it possible that that trial is something you need? You know, this is not the first time we see this in Scripture. Many of you are familiar with the life of Jesus, our Messiah, the one who rose from the grave. When Jesus was baptized, we just saw a baptism right here in the water. The minute Jesus was baptized to begin his public ministry, where was the first place God led him? Thank you. Was that you, John? Let's make some noise for John Gutierrez shouting it out. Yeah, hey, that's what I'm talking about. I got a gift card for you. No, I'm just kidding. We can't do that. Everybody be shouting out, Luke 4. Where's this gift card to? Like Chili's. Oh, I'm good. Yes, John. Amen. The wilderness. Think about it. Jesus begins his public ministry, and the very next thing that follows is he's driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days with no food and no water. God gives him this call, and then God allows a trial to happen. There's almost a pattern here. Even with Nehemiah, when Nehemiah received his call to go to Jerusalem, Nehemiah had a pretty good setup in Susa, Persia. He had a pretty good thing going. He was in with the king. He was doing his thing. He had a good career going. And then all of a sudden, God was calling him. It was a 981-mile journey from Susa, Persia to Jerusalem. God calls him. Watch this. You're not going to like this. God calls him from a place where he is thriving, that's put together, that's big for trade. He calls him from there to a city in ruins. Is it possible that God might call you and me from a place that is booming and thriving to a place that has no walls? Uh, You say, Daniel, never. (laughs) Let me ask you something. Is it possible God may call you from a very nice, comfortable job where you're making good money to a harder, rough-around-the-edges job where you make less money because he has a plan for you to use and share the gospel with people at that job? Some of us in the room are like, oh, I would never. If Outback's paying me the most money, that's where I'm going. I'm working at Outback. If Starbucks is making me the most to make the coffees, if they're paying me, I'm going to Starbucks. But what if God was calling you to give up some of your earthly gain so that you could experience more heavenly gain? It's amazing. So... God gives this call of authority and then Joseph experienced a trial immediately afterward. A trial does not always mean that God has taken away your calling. What he's doing is he's preparing you for your calling. I wrote this down. I love this. I hope that you remember this. I hope you don't forget this. I really don't. Hear me on this. The reason why. Why would Joseph be thrown into a pit? Why would Joseph be sold into slavery? Why would my parents go through a hard time? Why would God allow bad things happen to quote-unquote good people even though none of us are really good? Why would I struggle if God is love? Why would God let me go through a trial? I want you to understand something. God has a lesson for you in your pit that will prepare you for your path. (laughs) The reason why God allows trials and pits is because it is preparing you for your path. Jesus needed that time to overcome the devil in the wilderness. Nehemiah needed to give up things of this earthly gain. And Joseph had to experience the pit. When you go through a pit, when you go through a trial, do not be discouraged because God is teaching you a lesson in that pit. And I feel... I need to clarify even with a pit. This was a pit that Joseph got thrown into. He didn't throw himself into this pit. Just because you put yourself in a hard situation doesn't mean God has called you to that. <laughs> now I want you to understand, this is not in my notes, this is for somebody. If you put yourself in a pit, that doesn't always mean God is trying to teach you a lesson. The lesson may be to stop putting yourself in a pit. I don't know who to ask for, but Joseph didn't have control over his pit. Do you? Are you causing the heartache and the hard times and the trials? Because maybe the problem is not God. It's not not anybody else around you. Maybe it's you and me. And we need to take a look at ourselves. I, I don't know who that's for. But what I do know is that Joseph does not understand God's timing. But what he is doing is he is trusting God's timing. He is choosing to trust his timing. When a friend betrays you, will you trust the Lord's timing in that situation? When God gives you a purpose, when he gives you a call to go, and yet right now he has called you to stay, will you trust him as you work through that call? I love these two. There's a two verses I want to give you. A lot of times when you're talking about trust, the reason why we don't trust the Lord is because we're impatient. We're simply impatient. We are simply people who will not wait on the Lord. Romans 12, 2 is an amazing verse. It says, uh, rejoice. this This is the wrong one on the screen. I'm so sorry. But it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. I'll read it again so you can get that. Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. Galatians 6, 9, this one is on the screen right here. Paul says, let us not get tired. Many of us are tired in the room tonight. Let us not get tired of doing good for we will reap at the proper time if we don't what? Give up. Give up. God's word for you tonight may be to not give up. Maybe you are grinding for the Lord. We live in Memphis. We know about grit and grind. Maybe you are grinding for the Lord and you are pouring out everything you have. You're leading a D group. You're volunteering in your ministry. You are giving everything you can to your family. What if God's word for you tonight is do not give up doing good for the Lord. Don't give up. Hold in there. I want you to write this down. You thrive in a pit when you commit to prayer and patience. You thrive in a pit when you commit to prayer And patience. For the Lord to have favor over Joseph, he had to be connected to God. There's no favor without connection. There is a connection that happens when you pray. When you are patient and you wait on the Lord, he provides for you in ways you could not ever imagine. I want you to understand, Michelle, a prayerless person. Hear me on this. Don't miss this. A prayerless person will never be patient for God. Because prayer is all about patience. And if you're not patient enough to pray, you're going to have a hard time being patient enough to wait for the Lord on things in your life. A prayerless person will never be patient for the Lord. I wrote this down. Prayer determines whether you overcome your pit or whether you're overcome by your pit. Yes, amen. Prayer determines whether you overcome your pit through the power of God or whether your pit overcomes you. Are you willing to Pray. Our pastor preaches all about prayer. I've never seen a man pray the way he does. It has motivated me. It has inspired me to have prayer cards. Have you ever tried prayer cards before? Have you ever tried writing people's names down on a prayer card and carrying it with you and praying over those names? Have you ever considered the idea of, and maybe you do, if you do, this has blessed your life. Have you ever considered when you have someone's name on your card, if I have Paul Jones's name on a card and Paul comes to me and says, Daniel, I really need prayer over this, over that. What you could do in that moment, if you have a pen, is take out your pen and write on the back of that card, pray for so-and-so. Now that's intentional. Now, that's taking prayer to the next level. A lot of times we don't want to do it because we don't believe in prayer. I was thinking about it this past week. Listen, let me tell you something. Whenever you go into your room or your house or your kitchen and you flip the light switch, that's a sign of faith. When you go in there and you switch it on, you are having faith. You know what you are having faith in? I wrote this down. I love this. You believe that that light switch will access electricity that you cannot see, and that electricity will impact and light up things around you that you can see. It is an invisible connection that provides light. If you have enough faith to hit the light switch on, you have enough faith to pray. Prayer is an invisible connection that when you turn it on, you begin to see an impact visibly in the things around you. See, when you flip that switch on in your room and that light comes on, you don't see everything going on behind the scenes. But what you know is flipping that switch on makes a difference. When you really believe in prayer, you start to realize that it is an invisible connection. And when you turn it on, God begins to move around you and light up things that were not lit up before. But listen, you're going to have to get to a point where you're tired of sitting in the dark. If you go into your room and sit down and you never made contact with the switch, don't be surprised when you're in the dark. If you're a Christian and you have no answers in your life and you have no clarity in your life and you feel like you're sitting in the dark, if you have not prayed, you're sitting in a room that you did not make contact with the switch. Prayer is supernatural. It's invisible, but God blesses it. God will literally change the surroundings around you through the power of prayer. Every work we do with our hands has to be born from a place of prayer. Even when we open up the word. You know why I pray before I get in the word? Because if I could tell you, I am so aware of how slow thinking I am. I'm very aware that I am not the sharpest pencil in the tray. (laughs) That I am not the smartest guy in the room. I am aware of that. So when I sit down with the Bible, I understand I need prayer. Because if I try to read it without prayer, I'm probably not going to get anything out of it. You need to pray. Next time you sit down with your word and you feel like you're getting nothing out of it, what if you sat down and prayed for 10 minutes for the Lord to literally prepare your heart to come to his throne? Prayer, Cole. I've already shouted your name out tonight. God bless you. i got to mix it up. I keep looking at Cole over there. He's got that grin on his face. Prayer. What you notice about Joseph in this chapter is that Joseph has the favor of the Lord, but do not neglect the fact that he has gone through a traumatic event. Joseph has gone through, hear me, we hear this story as kids and we're like, oh, he got sold into slavery. He's gone through something traumatic. I wanna ask you something, I really do. When life throws a traumatic event at you, what will you do? When my grandma passed away, I was so reminded that life is short. And I was so reminded that when trauma hits, when a conflict arises, when you crash your car, when someone betrays you, when you lose your job, when your family gets a divorce, your parents, that when a trauma happens, the only one who can hold you up in that is not another person and it's not yourself, it's God. God. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Joseph has gone through a traumatic event, and yet here he is still walking with the Lord. I want to tell you something. There is no tragedy too big that God can't carry you through. (laughs) No tragedy too big. No tragedy too big for God. God's bigger than any tragedy, so the tragedy bows to God. Do you? Do I? The Lord was with Joseph. Let me paint this picture for you of what this really means. This is on the screen. What this really means is that even though his circumstances may have changed, his spirit has not changed. You're going to go through circumstances that are going to try to beat your soul down. If every time you get tired physically, you allow yourself to get tired spiritually, you're not going to last very long in Christianity. Because when you get tired physically, which is bound to happen, how you don't get tired spiritually is by walking with the king. Walking with Jesus, talking to Jesus, spending time with Jesus, understanding that you're a sinner and you need to repent every day. The Lord was with him. I love this. He may have been stripped of his coat. They took the coat off of him and put blood on it, but he has not been stripped of his character. When the world strips you of your coat, when it takes your money, when it takes your five-year plan (laughs) that you've got written out for your life, when the the world literally strips you of everything that you have worldly, will you choose to let it strip you of your character? Joseph said, "Uh uh-uh, not me. I'm not going to be stripped of my character because I've been stripped of some beautiful robe. He may have been separated from his father on earth, but he has not been separated from his father in heaven. Can I get an amen in the house of God tonight? You might be separated from every single person that you love in your life, but if you know Jesus Christ, the world cannot separate you from God. Some of you grew up and you didn't know your father. Some of you knew your father. You never had vulnerable conversations with him. Listen, just because you don't have a healthy relationship with your earthly father does not mean you cannot have one with your heavenly father. Amen? He may be in the house of an idol worshiper, but he has remained a worshiper of the true God. When everyone around you is worshiping social media When everyone around you is worshiping alcohol When everyone around you is worshiping sex before marriage When everyone around you is worshiping marijuana When everyone around you is worshiping themselves as a Christian And being religious and looking well put together When everyone around you chooses to worship this world And it's bound to happen if we just keep living When everyone chooses to worship this world What will you and I choose to worship? Will we stay faithful to the true God, the true king? Man, there's somebody in this house tonight that is being freed of sin and lack of trust. I don't know who it is, but there's somebody in here that for the first time tonight is saying, I am going to trust God. I'm not going to trust myself. I'm not going to trust this world. I will place my trust in God. I had a conversation with a woman today at University of Memphis when we go and do campus ministry. I'm not going to say her name in case she's here tonight, but I had a conversation with her, and I was just talking to her about the gospel a little bit, and and she told me, she said, man, I was hurt by the church, and it made me not want to go back. And I told her, I said, I was hurt by the church too. I had bad experiences growing up, and it made me not go to Jesus. But I realized over time, the older I got, that just because a church or a man or a person fails you does not mean that Jesus Christ has failed you. And some of you have had bad experiences with the church. Let me tell you something. Did that church have people in it? That's why that church is imperfect, because it's made up of imperfect people. (laughs) But that doesn't take away from the perfect Messiah. If you're putting your faith in me or any pastor or any person, don't be surprised when we or they let you down. But if you place your faith in Jesus, he is perfect. He will never let you down. An amazing verse that I love to pray when it comes to walking in the Lord's favor is Psalm 8411. It says, for the Lord God is a son and shield. How many of you want God to be your son and your shield? Amen. The Lord grants favor and honor. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. What if you began praying this prayer, saying, God, this is how you pray it? God, would you be my son? Would you be my shield? Lord, would you grant me favor today? Would you grant me the ability to have honor, honoring your name, not my own, Father? I pray that you would not withhold the good from those around me. And I pray today that you would help me to live with the integrity of Jesus Christ. What if you started praying scripture? I'll tell you what would happen. Spoiler alert, your life will be changed. It's one thing to pray prayers. It's a whole other thing to pray God's words. (laughs) Woo! I got to keep going. Wake up every day and fall more in love with Jesus. I look forward to summertime every year. I love summertime. Winter's okay. I like dressing in winter. I like wearing hoodies and stuff. How many people love hoodies, right? Amen. It's hoodie season. This is prime time right now. This is prime time. It's about to be like 20 degrees. That's not prime time. (laughs) That's the postseason. We in like the playoffs right now. Like this time right now when it's 75 degrees, this is like top notch, right? We get to walk around with hoodies and jackets and we don't have to freeze too bad. In the summertime, one of my favorite things, you're going to think I'm weird, but I love the beach. Anybody love the beach? Amen? Yes. Let me tell you something. This is weird, but I love, I'm not making this up, I love the smell of sunscreen. I did. What you mean, oh? Listen, what do you mean, oh? He gets up and leaves after that. No, listen, I don't know what it is, but I do. I love that. My wife hates it, but I love the smell of sunscreen. It reminds me of the beach, reminds me of when I was a kid, and we would go to trips every year with my family to the beach. I, I love it. It's a weird thing about me. But, like in May, very first day we had to break out sunscreen, I was so excited. I ain't gonna lie. My wife was like, You know, it's 60 degrees, you don't need it. And I was like, I don't care. Psh, let me layer up. I love laying out in the sun. Main reason why I love it is because my wife loves when I get tan. She loves when I start getting some color to me. Happy wife, happy life, amen. Happy wife, happy life. So I lay out in the sun. I do the best I can. I would never go to a tanning booth, but I lay out in the sun, and I try to get as much sun as I can. Some of you are like, this guy is really weird. But I got a point to all this. I want you to hear me on this. There's times I go, and I lay out in the sun, watch this, and I do get tan. My skin gets a little bit darker, and it's nice. And there's sometimes that I have laid out in the sun, and I have gotten burnt. <laughs> and I mean burnt bad. You ever got blisters before? I'm not going to go into detail, but blisters are bad. And sometimes, and let me tell you something, Reagan, you're going to think it's weird, but sometimes I need a good burn. <laughs> sometimes I need a sunburn because I get too cocky. My ego gets too big. I start thinking that my base is good enough where I don't have to put on sunscreen. I just go lay out, and I've gotten in trouble for that because I got too prideful. Sometimes, literally, the sunburn is what I need to humble me. Here's what I want you to understand. Anytime you make pre- you sit in the presence of the sun for an extended period of time, you are going to be changed. Whenever you sit in the presence of the sun, you are going to be changed. Whenever you truly sit in the presence of the sun, you will be changed. In other words, you walk away with a tan or a burn. There ain't no in-between. And I want you to understand something: when you sit in the presence of the Son of God, when you sit in the presence of the Lord, you will be changed too. Either you walk away with a tan or you walk away with a burn. You know what that means? When you sit in the presence of the God, either you walk away encouraged or you walk away convicted. And let me tell you something, every day you need both. (laughs) Sometimes you get in God's word and you walk away feeling tan. You walk away feeling encouraged, equipped, like I can do this. I've got this. God is with me today. But there's other times you sit in the word and sometimes you felt like you just got a sunburn. You ever been there before? There's times I've gotten in the word and God has smacked me around a little bit beat me up a little bit, convicted me a little bit, called me out of my sin. It felt like a sunburn because it was hot. It was heated. I didn't like it. But you know what? I needed it because that conviction, that burn was pushing me more towards Jesus. Let me tell you something. When you get in God's word, whether you get tanned, whether you get a burn, whether you get encouraged or whether you get convicted, you need both every single day. (laughs) Every single day. Can I give you one more application? You put on sunscreen To prepare to be in the presence of the Son. Can I ask you something? Do you do anything to prepare yourself to be in the presence of the Son of God? Do you do anything to prepare yourself for your quiet time? Do you do anything with your life to prepare yourself to stand before the Father when you die? Have you come to that place of brokenness where you have chosen to repent of your sins? In other words, you don't just confess them, you give them. (laughs) You repent, you're going this way. I repent of these sins, I turn, I do a 180, I start walking towards Jesus, I have repented of these sins, I lay these sins aside, I am fixing my eyes on Jesus, I am made new in Christ Jesus and I get to walk in the newness of life and you are prepared to stand before the Father. Listen, if you go out in the sun with no sunscreen, you're in trouble. If you stand before the Father with no Jesus, you're in trouble. But when you stand before the Father, when you and I stand there and we have Jesus Christ, our attorney, our lifeguard, our Savior standing beside us saying, yes, I know him. His or her name is written in the Lamb's book of life and they are welcome into my kingdom of heaven. When you stand there and you hear those words, you will be so grateful that you prepare to stand in the presence of the Father. You want motivation to share the gospel? Here it is. There's people walking around who do not have their name written in the Lamb's book of life. They are not prepared to stand in the presence of God because they have not repented of their sins and believed in Jesus. If that's you, you need to repent and give your life to Jesus tonight. If you know somebody like that, and chances are if you have breath in your lungs, you know a lost person. Have you told them the gospel have you told them that there is a lawyer who is willing to come to their side and vouch for them in front of the Father so that they can experience eternal life with God? Have you told them that news? If not, what are we doing? What are we doing? i got to keep moving. <coughs> the last thing I want you to understand at this point point, then we're moving on is when you, with every trial that God brings, there's a temptation that Satan brings. And this is one of the most true beliefs I've ever seen. The college pastor two times before me taught me this, back in 2016. That with every trial God brings, Satan brings a temptation. When Joseph was thrown into the pit and sold into slavery, you better believe he was tempted to turn from God. When Jesus was in the trial in wilderness and he was fasting, Satan was right there ready to meet him. Listen, when God brings you a trial, Satan's right there with the temptation. And I wish I had more time to talk about that. But don't choose the temptation. Look with me at verse 7, moving on through this text. Verse 7, starting at the end of verse 6, actually. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I mean, the Bible tells us that. I just want you to pause for a moment. (laughs) Don't you wish somebody wrote that about you? I wish somebody wrote that about me. He was well-built and handsome. He's a little awkward. Joseph literally described as well-built and handsome. I want you to understand, Joseph had it going on in more than one ways or another. Uh, He was well-built and handsome. I mean, this guy had to look good. He was probably a little dark. He's tan, tall, slim. He's got it going on. I mean, he looks good. And there's a point to us telling us this. In verse 7, after some time, his master's wife looked longingly at Joseph. And she said to him, sleep with me. Potiphar's wife ain't playing no games. Sleep with me. And we believe there was much more that went into just that statement. But look at verse 8. This is amazing. But he refused. Look, he said to his master's wife, look, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in this house, and he has put all that he owns under my authority. No one in this house is greater than I am. He has withheld nothing from me except for you, because you are his wife. So how could I do this immense evil, and how could I sin against God? If you've if you got a pen, underline that in your Bible, please. That's one of the greatest verses in Genesis, right there. How could I do this immense evil, and how could I sin against God? Next time the devil tempts you with something, you've got to remember, it's sin against God. Verse 10, although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her. She didn't quit. And oftentimes, temptation ain't going to quit. Temptation going to keep... Knocking on that door, trying to get in. Day after day, she would not quit. Right there. Number two, the second question I want to ask you is, will you trust God when tempted? Will you trust God when tempted? Everything we're talking about tonight has to do with trust. Will you trust God when tempted? Now, you have to understand that at this time in Egyptian culture, Egyptian women were very loose in their morals. In fact, for Egyptian women, unfaithfulness and sexual immorality ran rampant. It was almost expected for women in Egypt to have sex outside of marriage. This is a common thing. You have to understand, Potiphar's wife is not looking for a relationship. She's not trying to divorce Potiphar. She's just looking for a good time. She's just looking for a hookup. And that's what our culture promotes. That's what our culture is all about. You need to have a hookup. You need to do a one night stand. You need to just find your pleasure. That sex is nothing more than just your pleasure. It has no ties to love. It has no ties to the ways that you've been created and designed. And the culture is pushing you on this. God continues to bring my sermons back to sexual immorality. I'm not structuring this. God is doing it. And I think I know why. Because what's happening right here in the culture of Egypt is exactly what happens in our culture today. Everywhere you look. You are being influenced, this generation is being influenced to believe that sexual morality is casual, that sex before marriage, that lust, that what you do with your body, what you do with your mind, the culture is trying to convince you that that is a very casual thing and there is no weight that should be had to that. And I want you to understand that's a lie from the pit of hell. If you hear anything tonight here, sexual immorality is not casual, but it is catastrophic. Don't let Satan pull you into that temptation. It's not worth it. It is not worth it. All it will leave you with is shame and guilt and bitterness and an attachment that you aren't supposed to have. (laughs) Don't give in to it. For anyone struggling with temptation tonight, and I know there's probably none in the room, none of us struggle with this. But in case anybody is, and that's a little sarcasm, I know all of us do. For those of you who are struggling with sexual temptation or struggling with lust or struggling with any form of this, wanting to escape singleness, I want you to know something. There is hope. There is hope. The devil wants to convince you that your temptation is so specific to you. Watch this, this is so good that your temptation is so specific to you and unique that nobody else could relate to it. That's why it's amazing. When you start to read scripture with the lens of context, you start understanding what they're saying. That's why when Paul says in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen, notice the language, this is very important. Let's put it on the screen. No temptation has come upon you except what is, read that word for me, except what is what? Common. Common to humanity. Paul's, and we can leave this up for a minute. Paul is trying to get you to understand. He's trying to get the Corinthians to understand that their temptation to sexual immorality, their temptation to give in to their desires is not unique. It is common. It's so common that Jesus overcame it. It's so common that Joseph is choosing to overcome it. It's so common that the people around you can relate and understand. And there might just be people here at The View There might just be people who can relate to you and talk to you and encourage you out of that temptation. Paul then goes on to say, God is faithful. How many of you in the room tonight go, God is faithful, amen? Amen. Listen, God is faithful. How is He faithful? He will not allow you to be tempted. Notice it doesn't say God tempts you. God does not tempt you, the devil does. But he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. That means, and this is not in my notes. I don't know who this is for. That means when you are in the car with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you're struggling, God has provided a way out. That means the next time you have a thought of gossip or comparison or jealousy or worrying about what people think of you pop into that brain, just ask yourself the question, is this thought from God? If we would just start asking ourselves, is this thought from God? We would start realizing a lot of our thoughts of temptation are not from God. All of them come from the pits of hell. If you would start realizing that there is a way out, you would start overcoming some of that temptation. I got to keep moving. I Man, there's there's more I wish I could say there. Let me give you some action steps. How Joseph said no to sin. The first one is A, trust God's truth. What do we see Joseph do? Joseph is trusting God's truth. And there is a lot here, and I really want you to not miss this. I mean, please lock in with me as best as you can. Man, this is so cool. In the Garden of Eden, the serpent convinced Eve that God was withholding something good from her. See, the reason why we want to have sex before marriage is because we buy the lie that God is withholding something good from us, not saving something good from us. The serpent convinces Eve that God is withholding something good from them. I want to look at the text. Look at Genesis 3 right here with me on the screen. Now, the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Verse 2. Goes on to say, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. Verse 3, she goes on to say, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. She doesn't name the garden. God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Verse 4 goes on to say, no, you will not die. The serpent lied to the woman. Verse 5, in fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at as temptation often is and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. And then verse seven, the last verse, I think she come up on the screen. No, maybe just, yes, verse seven. Then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew, look at this, that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together out of shame and guilt and made coverings for themselves. Hear me on this, this is so huge. The devil... Convinced Eve that her current situation was not good enough. The devil convinced Eve that her current situation was not good enough. Sound familiar? Because it's exactly what Potiphar's wife is doing. Potiphar's wife is trying to convince Joseph that what Potiphar has given to him is not enough, that he needs more, that he needs her, that all the authority he has in the house is not enough. I wanna tell you something, the same way that Potiphar gave Joseph authority in his house, God placed Adam and Eve in the garden and gave them authority in his house. (laughs) And they realized that their current situation was good enough because God was in it. (laughs) And they didn't need anything else. But Joseph's being tempted with the same temptation that the serpent was given Adam and Eve. Now, this is amazing. Keep looking at this. I sat down to a guy next week, and, he, and last week, and I was talking to him. We went to Huey's. I love Huey's, man. You're going to have some great conversation at Huey's. Amen? Yeah, y'all know about Huey's now. That mac and cheeseburger is coming back on the menu. Hopefully. I just spoke for Huey's. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if they are or not. They're going to call me like, oh, sir, <laughs> we're not bringing that back for another year. Um, I sat down with this guy, and he was from California. And all of us in Memphis think of California like this elevated place. <laughs> and I was talking to him. He was like, man, every time I tell someone in Memphis that I'm from California, they always ask me the same question. I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> he goes, they always ask me, why in the world would I move here? <laughs> he, and he's like, man, they talk about Memphis like it's a dump. <laughs> Like they asked me, like, why would you leave California to move here? Like, why would you leave Hollywood? Weren't you a movie star? <laughs> and he's like, people don't understand. He was like, Daniel, have you ever heard a phrase called the grass is always greener on the other side? <laughs> you ever heard that phrase before? The grass is always greener on the other side. I don't know why I made it into a song, but there you go. There you go. <laughs> the grass is always greener on the other side. No, I'm just kidding. And uh, <laughs> not bad, not bad, huh? You might see me up here next to Jeff Maxwell. You never know. You never know. I'm just kidding. I won't do that. I can't do that. No, no, no. I can't do that. I'm going to get myself in trouble. He said, the grass is always greener on the other side. He said, people look at me and they're like, man, why would you move here? And he said, listen, California is not all Hollywood and mountains and beaches. He said, California is rough. Then he looked at me in the eye. He said, Daniel, I love Memphis a thousand times better than I love California. He said, I never understand why people in Memphis want to run out to California like the grass is greener. Then he looked at me. He said, I guess people will always want that which they don't have. He said, I mean, he was preaching truth to me over cheese tots. He was like, man, people will always think that their current situation is not good enough. And that was before I even studied this text, and I started realizing how good that applies. We always want what we don't have. We always think our current situation isn't good enough, and we need more. That's what caused the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3. It was pride and wanting more, which didn't belong to them. Do you think it's a big deal? (laughs) You tell me. No matter what season of life you get to, no matter if you're married or if you're single, no matter what you obtain, whether it's money, finances, no matter when you have kids, no matter when you get that job, when you get that career, when you make it, when you got that blue check by your Instagram, when you get famous, there is no place or no thing you can obtain that will fulfill you the way Jesus Christ will fulfill you. (laughs) The grass is not greener on the other side. And Joseph realizes God's truth in this situation. He begins telling Potiphar's wife, literally, look at the text. He says, I've been given everything I need. I've been given much more than I could even deserve if only Adam and Eve had that attitude. He said, I don't need to give in to you because he hasn't given me over to you. And I will follow my master. What if you and me had that attitude with God? What if when temptation came to us, we said, I don't need you because I'm going to listen to my master. I'm going to listen to my Lord. I'm going to listen to the Father, and I'm not giving in to this temptation. Joseph is very aware that his current situation is all he needs. He is trusting God's truth. He is clinging to the truth, and he is not buying a lie. Some of you have spent your whole life buying lies from the devil. Let me tell you something. God will give you a refund. God will give you a refund on those lies you built. And what he gives you a refund for, he pays you back with truth. He pays you back with truth. I got to move on. B... View God accurately. I'm out of breath. Sheesh, I'm sorry. I'm like trying to catch my breath up here, breathing hard. This hoodie's a little hot. View God accurately. The other truth here is what Joseph says, and it's located in verse 9 at the very end. He says, how could I do this immense evil? How could I commit this sin against God? I want, you to, tell you, I want to tell you something. Joseph has an accurate view of God. Joseph realizes that sin is not just something for pleasure. It's not just bad, but it's literally a personal offense against the nature and character of God. Joseph realizes that sin is not just a fun time. It is literally sin against his father. And the reason why is because he views God as 100% holy. And just as God is holy, God has called us to pursue after holiness. Because of that, God is and always will be better than any temptation. God is and will be always better than any temptation. I want to ask you something. How do you view God? Do you view God the way Joseph does, that sin is an offense against his character and his nature? How do you view God? Is he Santa Claus? (laughs) Is he the big man upstairs? (laughs) Is God just somebody that you run to when when you get into trouble? Have you ever considered your view of God? Have you ever thought about it? I believe it's Tozer who says, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not claiming to know this. I believe it's Tozer who says, how you view God is the most important thing about you. I think that's Tozer. How do you view God? I wrote some of these down. For a lot of Christians who have been doing it for a minute, God is their best friend, but he's not really their Lord. In other words, they include God on celebrations and prayer requests, but God doesn't really have a seat at the table when it comes to decision making. (laughs) In other words, and I promise you, this hit me in the mouth. This may hit you in the mouth. There's a lot of Christians who live this way. God is all over their journal, but he's not the Lord of their calendar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was convicted. God is the Lord of their journal, but he's not the Lord of their calendar. Meaning we do all this writing about God. We talk to God, but we don't allow God to have the ultimate say in how we live. We cannot be theoretical Christians who talk about Christianity, who study Christianity, who study stuff like Joseph, but never apply it and live it out. How do, excuse me, how do you view God? A casual view of God will lead to a casual view of sin. God bless you. Sounded like she was far back in the room. I said she, could have been a guy, I don't know. A casual view of God will lead to a casual view of sin. And then the last one, I'm going to give you this last point right here. C is run. <laughs> That's it. I don't have anything else that follows that. Run. Literally, what does Joseph do? I love this in verse 12. She grabbed him by his garment and said, sleep with me. But leaving his garment in her hand, he escaped and ran outside. Joseph looked at her and said, I don't need you. I don't want you. God hasn't given me to you. Potiphar hasn't given you to me. I'm going to run. When temptation comes up, you don't talk with it. You don't reason with it. You don't don't go back and forth with the devil. You run. You run. Some of us, what we do is when temptation arises, we set up a tent and we start camping with it. (laughs) Run. (laughs) Run. Look with me at verses 13 to 23 as we land the plane. Verse 13, when she saw that he had left his garment behind and had run outside, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, my husband brought a Hebrew man to make fools of us. She's making division here. He came to me so he could sleep with me, and I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me screaming for help, he left his garment beside me and ran outside. Just a straight-up lie. Just a straight-up lie on Joseph's name. Some people will lie on your name. But make sure you're surrounded by people who are honest, who love and fear God. Verse 16, she put Joseph's garment beside her until her master came home. She staged this whole thing. Once again, just think about it. It's very interesting. Joseph's article of clothing is getting him in trouble. His robe was used by his brothers to cause deceit. Now his garment is being used by Potiphar's wife to cause deceit. There's a connection there. Verse, Skip down with me to verse 19. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, these are the things your slave did to me. He was furious and had him thrown into prison where the king's prisoners were confined. So Joseph was there in prison. Many people believe that Potiphar didn't really believe that Joseph was guilty of this because he should have been killed. But instead, he's thrown into prison. Verse 21, and this is amazing. <laughs> but the Lord was with Joseph. Say that with me. You ready? But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. God, don't quit. The warden put all the prisoners who were in the prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. Literally, verse 23 says, this is amazing, the warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything he did successful. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Whether he's in a pit, a palace, or prison, God is being faithful to him (laughs) and showing him favor. The last question I want to ask you is this. Will you trust God's plan? Number three is, the last one I want to show you is, will you trust God's plan? What does Joseph get for doing the right thing? Salus, he is thrown into prison. Joseph says yes to God. He says no to temptation, and he gets thrown into prison. Would you be a little mad? (laughs) People are like, yeah, I'd be a little mad. I already know myself. If I said yes to God and then I got thrown into prison for it, I'd be a little mad. (laughs) I'd be a little frustrated. But what has happened to Joseph? He gets thrown into prison, and the Lord is still with him. The Lord is still faithful. It's almost as if that joy and faithfulness is not based on circumstances. It's based on character. It's based on Christ. I'd be a little heated, and what does Joseph do? He continues to serve, but this teaches us about the world, and I hope that you walk away with this. This teaches us about the world, and it teaches what will happen when you say yes to God. Hear me on this. Do not forget this this week. I wrote this down in my notes. Do not be surprised when a world that doesn't obey God punishes you when you do. Do not be surprised when a world that doesn't obey God punishes you when you do. Joseph is trusting God's plan. Will you? Are you a blank check? Are you at a place in your life where you have said, you know what, God, I am wide open. Here's my arms. Here I am. Do whatever you would have with me pastor told a story on Sunday night of a man in Africa who had no money to put into an offering plate no money to put into an offering plate so when the offering plate came to him what he did is it's so amazing he set it down on the ground he had no money to put into it so what this man from Africa did was step into the offering box and what he was saying is I have no money to give you God but I give you my entire self as a living sacrifice is that you is that me Or are you living by your five-year plan? I wish the Israelites would have asked Moses what his five-year plan is. Five-year plan. My five-minute plan is to follow that cloud. If that cloud stops, I stop. If that cloud goes, I go. You know what your five-minute plan is? If God goes, you go. When God stops, you stop. Are you wide open. Let me tell you something. Any plan you create will never be as good as God's anyway. Any plan you live for will never give you the joy like God's plan will for you. Joseph understands that God is in control. God's plan will come, in th- come through in the end, and I am just a blank check waiting for God to give me instructions. This is the best thing that you can do. Joseph is pouring out faithfulness. Literally, I want you to understand, Joseph is like a sponge. we all familiar with sponges in here. What happens when a, with a sponge is when you fill it up with water, it begins to soak that water up, and when pressure hits... When pressure hits that sponge, when you squeeze it, what happens is all the water that was inside that sponge begins to pour out. Joseph was like a sponge in the fact that he was so filled with God that when the pressure of the world hit him, when the world began to squeeze him, literally what poured out of him was the Holy Spirit of God. What poured out of him was faithfulness. You and me today, now that we have the Holy Spirit of God, we should be like a sponge that we are so filled with the Holy Spirit of God that when pressure hits us, we begin to ooze the Spirit of God and love and patience and peace and joy and kindness and gentleness and all the fruits of the Spirit around the people in our lives. I want you to write this down in your notes for me. Write God's plan. And I'm not talking about Drake. <laughs> God's plan. And then put a line and write, your plan. And this in my notes. I haven't thought about this until right now, but I want you to look at that and remember God's plan will always be greater than your plan. It'll always be higher. It'll always be better. That's what Joseph is trusting. Is that what you're trusting tonight? Let's all stand up to our feet for a moment. I know that you're still taking notes. You can finish that sentence. I'm not going to rush you. You don't have to bow your heads yet. I just want your eyes on me, right here with me. Some of you are slow getting up. We got some old folks in here. Some of you are like, ugh. Here's some knees cracking. When I was a kid, I was deathly afraid of tornado sirens. I was afraid of tornado sirens. The band's going to come back out. They're going to start to play. I was really, really afraid of tornado sirens. And I want you to remember this. I was very afraid of tornado sirens. Somebody said whenever I heard one, I would run to my room. I would hide. I would get scared. I would start to shake. I would start to tremble. My parents remember this. I was so afraid of the storm. I was so afraid of everything that was going on outside. And I remember as a kid, one time when the tornado sirens began to go off, I got up to run to my room, and I saw my dad across the living room, and he was standing there. And in this moment, I remember looking at him, just a kid. I remember looking at him and hearing those tornado sirens, and I looked at my dad, and what my dad did, I'll never forget it. It was so simple. This is not going to blow you away. What my dad did is he stood there, and in the middle of that tornado siren, he opened his arms. He opened his arms as wide as he could. And in this moment, I had a choice. In this storm, during these tornado sirens, I had a choice to either run and hide in fear and be scared, or I could run straight into my father's arms. And for the first time, when the tornado sirens were going off, I sprinted to my dad, I ran to my dad's arm. I remember running up and grabbing him. I still remember the way his his jackets used to smell. You know how your parents have a a smell. He just had a, I remember that smell of comfort. I remember grabbing my dad and holding him. I remember him putting his arms around me. And I, I want you to understand that I realized for the first time as a kid, that when I ran to my dad's arms in the middle of the storm, it didn't stop the storm. It didn't take away the storm. The sirens were still going. But the minute I got to his arms, being there with my dad, my father, took away every single fear I had. Because in that moment, I realized that as bad as a storm is, if I'm in my father's arms, I have nothing to worry about. I have nothing to fear. My dad has a plan. My dad is going to protect me. And I want you to understand something. Joseph realizes it very quickly. When Joseph was in a pit, when Joseph was in a storm, if Joseph heard the tornado sirens, when you're in your life and the sirens start going off and you see the battle and the weather's getting crazy and you're getting beat up and you feel like you're losing and you feel like there's no hope and you feel like there's nothing that you can do, I want you. To understand that God the Father is standing there looking at you with his arms wide open, that Jesus Christ is right there with his arms wide open. And when you run to your Father, when you run to prayer, when you run to the word in the middle of that storm, it doesn't necessarily take away the storm, but God has the power to take away every single one of your fears and worries in the middle of your storm. I start realizing, you know what? This storm's scary, this battle's scary. But my God is bigger than this storm. Joseph realized, my God is bigger than my brother selling me into slavery. My God is bigger than prison. My God is bigger than me getting lied on. My God is big enough, and I will stay faithful to him. I won't sin against him because he is worth it. And I run to my father's arms. Have you ever done that before?